God summons us to his presence. Let us hear God's word from Exodus 33, 12 through 16, and from Hebrews chapter 8, beginning in verse 10. Let us hear the words of the Lord. Exodus 33. Then Moses said to Yahweh, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you shall send with me. Yet you, shall, you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found grace in my sight. Now therefore, I pray, if I have found grace in your sight, show me now your way, that I may know you, and that I may find grace in your sight. And consider that this nation is your people. And he, and this is Yahweh God himself speaking, said, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Then he said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. For how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight, except you go with us? So shall we be separate, your people and I, from all the people who are upon the face of the earth? And from Hebrews chapter 8, verse 10. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you with thanksgiving that you have called us into your presence. We rejoice in your grace and mercy for the forgiveness of our sins. We ask now that your holy word, sharp as a two-edged sword, cut us up, rearrange us, and conform us to your son Jesus. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight for the sake of your son, Jesus. Amen. Many of you know that I have, in previous careers, driven a lot. And when I say a lot, I mean a lot. But I think we've all probably been there at times where we have driven the same pathway so many times that even when we're tired, we make the turns and somehow we get there. I know sometimes I pull out of here to go somewhere in the mornings and if I hang a left, my instinct is to come down here by the by best gate and hang a left. A lot of times I'm headed to the gym in the morning. But if I'm talking to somebody sometimes on the phone as I'm pulling out and I'm going somewhere else, I still make that left at best gate. Right? We've all been there when we kind of drive by muscle memory, by habit. You know, that's one of the dangers of the Christian life. We can come into God's house. We can enter into this place together. We can be summoned by God, and we go through all of these steps of what it means to worship in his house, in his presence, on the Lord's Day. This is actually one of the concerns of those people who look at churches with a formed liturgy, and they say, well, my problem is it's just going to become habit. And just like I drive by muscle memory, I'm going to do certain things by muscle memory. Now, I'll I'll point out one thing. 
praise God for muscle memory because sometimes we're overwhelmed, we're really tired, and God, by His grace and muscle memory that He's given us, we get home safely. Right? We should be grateful for that. Likewise, sometimes we come into God's house on the Lord's Day and we're overwhelmed, we're wore out, all these things are going on, and we kind of go through the motions, and yet God is still present. He still summons us, He still forgives us, He still comes and shows up and brings us to His table of peace. However, I don't want to leave us just kind of in this state. I imagine many of you have studied before the, the, the five areas of the Lord's Day service. I know when I first came here, I did a Sunday school series on it for a short time. Many of you have read books on the subject. But I think it is good and wise, and, and in the preceding weeks to here, we, we talked about how God created us for worship last week. We looked at God's pattern for worship, where we outlined what those five were in just in Leviticus 9 with some supporting text. But I want us to understand that we're going through a series here where we're going to go through the five steps over the next five weeks. So there's, you know, these aren't perfect terms, but, but these are terms for you to think about. They are five C's. There is a call. There is a confession, there is a consecration, which I would say is the ascension, just referencing back to last week. There is communion, and there is the commission. I'll say this one more time. Call, confession, consecration, communion, and confession. God calls us to come into his presence and worship him. We can only do this because of the saving work of his son, Jesus Christ. In his presence, God gives us his gifts that we need to do his will here on earth. And just like the Garden of Eden, from the garden of God's presence, the waters flow out to nourish the rest of the world. Now, I say all this. In part because I want you to know, first of all, that you can do motions, you can go through the habits of things, but unless you recognize that it's the work of Jesus Christ that saves you, all of this is just outward, uh, an outward working of things. You're just putting on a show. We are to trust in Jesus Christ himself. But we are also to recognize that all of the good gifts that God gives us here today and every Lord's Day, are for us to be strengthened to go out and do His will and bring nourishment and salvation to the world. So in order to do this, we must appear to the threshold of His presence. So God summons us in two ways. One way is His calling of mercy to bring us into His particular people. Sometimes we call this election. We see this in passages like Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 29, where it says, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whomever he predestined, these also he called. Whom he called, these also he justified. And whom he justified, these 
be also glorified. So we see in Romans 8 that God calls his particular people to be his adoptive sons through the work of Jesus Christ our Lord. We see again in Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 4, that just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself. Now, I'm pausing just for a second in the passage and ask you this. Why does God do this? Why did he choose us before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love? And why did he predestine us to the adoption of sons by Jesus Christ to himself? Well, the passage goes on and says, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. Again, there's this absolute focus. He chooses us, he calls us, and he does this, provides for our salvation through Jesus Christ. It is important that we remember that God calls us to be his particular people for his praise and his glory. All that God is doing is not so you can say, well, I was once dirty and now look at me. No, all that God does when he calls us and regenerates us and cleans us up and strengthens us and gives us all his gifts in this service is so that we bring glory to him. You know, it is not because we deserve to be called. We didn't deserve it. We were wretched. Last week in Sunday school, we, we studied Psalm 14, which speaks really directly to the corruptness of all people. We don't deserve it. But as God's word teaches us in 2 Timothy chapter 1, beginning in verse 9, it says this, Who, that's the Lord, has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. So God called us to be his particular people before time began, but part of this was also to send his son to deliver us from our sins, to give us life, so that we may bring glory to his name. And all of this is done through Jesus Christ. And this is really important. Again, if we come in here every week and we go through the liturgy and we do these different things and we think it has anything to do with what we've brought, we're mistaken. When we come in here, what are we bringing? Our sin throughout the week. We come in dirty. And we bring our gifts, our tithes, we bring ourselves, and we must call upon the Lord Jesus Christ, confess our sins before him, recognize that Christ is the one who took our punishment. Now the second way that God summons us is by calling us to worship him in the congregation. God calls us to his presence on specific days at specific times. How does he do this? He does this by his representatives. First, the historic church and your specific 
elders. God calls you, your families, your whole households, and even the foreigner who dwells among you to come to his presence at particular places, that is, a geographic spot with an address, and times. And for us, that's 10 a.m. Our church fathers quickly saw the need to worship before our God on the eighth day, right? In the Old Covenant, there was the Sabbath day. The first day of the new creation was Christ's resurrection, which is the eighth day. And so very early in the history of the church, they selected Sunday, or the eighth day, to be the Lord's day. We, too, amongst many Christian places in the world today, celebrate the Lord's day on the eighth day, on Sunday. That's why we worship on Sunday. And your your elders here have selected 1841 General's Highway at 10 a.m. on a Sunday morning as the particular time and place that we will come together as a congregation and worship the Almighty. You know, the other thing that the historic church has given us is other times and seasons for us to consider feasting and worshiping before our God and King. And they did this by providing us the church calendar. Now, I want to be careful here and say the church calendar is a tool, it's a method, it's a, it's a way for us to think about coming before God and, and seasons and times of fellowship and feasting. We're not hard and fast to those things, but it is very good for us. It catechizes us, the church calendar does, about Jesus is coming. Think about this. For half a year, we study the life of Christ in Advent, all the predictions of his coming and the anticipation of his coming. His actual coming with the Christmas season. Then we have a small time of, of the church and we learn a little bit more. And then we go into the time of Lent where we think about the, the, the great difficulty of being delivered from our sins in the life of Christ. And then we go into the Easter season where we are reminded week after week that Christ is risen. And why do you know that? Because every week we've done that. We've said those things together. And then we come to the season of Pentecost that we're in right now, where we understand that God established his church, and we take that time for us to, as a, as a body, study God's word about what it means to be the church. Last year we went over the ten words, and then I preached a series through the book of Ephesians. This year I'm going through the parts of worship and I have a list of other foundational doctrines I want us to cover. And in the fall, we'll do another book of the Bible. I want us to learn what it means to be the people of God. But God calls us and he's given us times and seasons like the church calendar, but also he's given us this feast day, the Sabbath. Now Numbers 29 verse 39 says this, these you shall present to Yahweh at your appointed feasts, besides your, vow, your vowed offerings and your freewill offerings. As your burnt, remember every time you hear burnt offerings or burnt sacrifice, it's ascension. So as you, as you, your burnt offerings 
and your grain offerings and your drink offerings and your peace offerings. So you, you are appointed. God sets the time. These are when they're going to be. In order to be present, we must be prepared. God told us what to bring and ha- that we must be present at the assembly before God. We must not neglect being in worship on the Lord's Day. Now, I know in one sense I'm preaching to you right now, so it's like preaching to the choir, so to speak. You're all here today. But it is very good for us to remember the importance of coming before the Lord on the Lord's Day and that we should be prepared. In Luke 9, 59, it says this, And he said to another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me... First, go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. But Jesus said to them, no one is having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. When God calls us, we should be there. It doesn't matter if you're on vacation. There's people hanging out at your house. Maybe they don't go to church. But God summons you to worship and receive his gifts. As the people of God, we are not to easily dismiss being assembled in his presence with his people. You know, God has given us much in the form of technology. We can stream our service like some of you are doing right now. If you've been providentially hindered by God to not to be able to be here with us, it is, a, it is good and it is a blessing to see and hear the service. What's providentially hindered? So when you get sick, God has permitted it. If you are injured, God has permitted it. And If God has called you in your work to care for the sick and the injured, like doctors and nurses and other caregivers, or even for our safety and protection, like our military or police, these are acceptable for a designated period of time to not be present. If you find yourself in these situations, find other ways to get to a covenant renewal service as often as you can. But this is a big deal. On the Lord's Day, God is summoning you to be with his people and come before his presence. You know, I've mentioned several times already about being prepared. A serious question that we must consider in coming to worship is are we prepared? In Leviticus 23, we see a list of specifically called days to come together as the people of God to worship. Leviticus chapter 3, or excuse me, Leviticus 23, verse 1 says, And Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, The the feasts of Yahweh, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations, these are my feasts. In verse 3, we see that the Sabbath is the first one listed. And then we see the Passover and unleavened bread in verse 4, and the Feast of First Fruits in verse 9, 
the Feast of Weeks in verse 15, the Feast of Trumpets in, in verse 25, the Day of Atonement in verse 26, and the Feast of Tabernacles in verse 33. It doesn't take much to realize that you could not come together for the feast in Jerusalem without all kinds of preparation. The Jewish philosopher and historian uh, Philo commented in his first century works this, For so populous are the Jews that no one country can hold them, and therefore they settle in very many of the most prosperous countries in Europe and Asia, and the islands, and on the mainland, while they hold the holy city Jerusalem, where stands the sacred temple of the Most High God to be their mother city. So, the worshipers in that day, they needed to come a long way. Some of them anyway. They came a long distance. You know, just this week, my wife traveled down to Louisiana to assist her parents. And in this, in the preceding days, I took the car and we got an oil change or rotated the tires. I brought it home and changed the air filter and cabin filter myself because I wanted too much money for that. But I looked over everything and then I washed the car and I cleaned it and I prepped it. And then as my wife got things prepared to go on the trip, I loaded them into the car. I made sure the car was gassed up for her to go. I made all these preparations. She made preparations. And then she went on that trip. You see, we must be prepared for the Lord's Day. We must make preparations. You see, the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles had to make preparation for Sabbath day meals. To care for their animals and responsibilities. And they had to make preparations for high holy feast days of travel to their country. They were called three times a year that they had to go from where they were to come to the heavenly city of Jerusalem. Now, in Matthew chapter 23, Jesus kind of talks about this a little bit. He says this, Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar, and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Now, there's a lot of different things you can think about this, but I, or that we could talk about here, but I want to point out something. Here, Jesus points out that if you don't make the proper preparation for worship, that we should leave our gift on the altar and address the issues of broken relationships because of sin. This really speaks to us about making our hearts ready each day, and certainly on Saturday. If you know that God's called you to His presence on the Lord's Day, you should have already been doing this each day, because what does it say in Ephesians 4? Right? Are we serving God through repentance to Him and to those who have sinned against us throughout the week? Do we reflect on this daily? Being God's servant, as a Christian, God requires us to reflect daily on our status with Him and with others. How do we know that? Well, it says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. 
we're called each day and certainly before the Lord's Day to take an account of where we are with others. Get right and be reconciled. Remember, think about these people that had to travel a distance to come to God's presence. They had to make serious preparations in all kinds of ways. And even for the Sabbath, they had to make all kinds of preparations for that day of rest. We too must make preparations. So here's a couple of questions I have. What about the night before the Lord's Day worship? Do we remember our children and their frame? Are we keeping our kids out really late or up really late before they come into the Lord's Day? Now you're looking at a father of eight children, right? And there's different stages and times in life. Obviously, I wasn't, I wasn't uh, you know, eight o'clock for my 16-year-old, right? But when they're smaller, I'm responsible to see that they get cleaned up, they, get, they go to bed, they get rest, which means I can't be at my friend's house till 10 o'clock at night with them. What am I doing to them? Am I, am I challenging my kids? Am I setting them up to throw fits because they're exhausted and crazy out of their minds? Sometimes at 10 o'clock at night at their friend's house, right? Or our friend's house, right? But in the same way, are we considering their frame? What about our social life? What about your frame? Are you asking too much of your body? Are you prepared? Do you get your meals set out? And I suspect, ladies, I have a pretty good trust that you've already thought earlier this week, what are we going to have for dinner or lunch on Sunday? And you've made plans, and you've organized it, right? But are we laying out clothing? Again, I'm going to talk about being a, a father of eight here. Have we located all of the church shoes on Saturday night? How many have ever had that trouble walking out the door on a Sunday morning? Right? And it, there's even been some times where we've located them all on Saturday night and then somehow Sunday morning we're chasing the pair down, right? But the question is, are we doing the things, are we considering what to do rightly to be prepared for worship? And certainly, all of this we need to do with right and godly hearts. Because I, I just want to point this out. When I talk about doing this with right and godly hearts, practically speaking, when our kids aren't together and we're trying to get them out the door, dads, moms, do you become agitated? Do, do, do you start taking it out on them? Husbands and wives, do you become irritated at your spouse? Where is your heart in this? And what are you doing to be prepared the night before? And certainly the morning of. Are we all set with the things of consideration to be prepared for God's gracious covenant renewal promises with us? And listen, I'm not here making hard, specific rules. I could say, well... Here's some ways we did it. But I'm not up here to legislate exactly how this all looks. I'm here to say to you, come prepared, be prepared. You need to consider your age, your children's ages, your responsibilities, 
people of God are different at different times and at different places in our lives. One of the most, you know, if, if you were to talk to my kids about the Lord's Day, they, they would tell you several things. One, I get up and I kind of set the pace. And as one of the things that I would do, at least the first go-round, to wake them up when they were small, they, they've kind of lost an appreciation for this, the, the couple that are left at home. But I would come in the room and I would sing a hymn, a boisterous hymn very full of vigor, right? And my kids will tell you for years and years and years, I'm, you know, Lord's Day, I'm happy, I'm pumped, I'm trying to set the pace for them, right? But, but are we singing songs and spiritual songs? We just need to reflect in our minds and in the minds of our household, are we living for the priorities of God and coming into his presence. Now God, he calls us to worship in his presence for salvation and blessing. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 11 says this, As you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you, as a father does his own children, that you would walk worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. God calls us. And when we consider this, we tend to think that his kingdom and glory is way over there, far off from us. But we must realize that worship places are the place, are you ready for this, where heaven and earth meet. Let's consider Hebrews 12, beginning verse 22. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and the church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. This passage in Hebrews 12 tells us that we worship in the heavenly city of the living God. Right now, this is the heavenly city of the living God. This is the heavenly Jerusalem. What's in this city right now? Now we can look around. Do you see your preacher? He's up here sweating. Some of you are too, I think. Right? But what else what else is here with us? According to this passage, there are angels and the general assembly. This Greek word that means that says general assembly is a festal gathering of the whole people to celebrate. So the general assembly, everybody gathered to celebrate. And the church, when we come before God to answer his summons to his house with his people, we are brought up into heaven with an innumerable host of angels and his church, those before us and all others in worship at the same time here today 
to celebrate God's mercies and receive his gifts of forgiveness, words of life and hope. And we are further elevated to sit at his table of peace where he offers us his son as a memorial before himself to us by the power of the Spirit. You know, this, this discussion of Hebrews chapter, chapter 12, unsurprisingly, it comes right after Hebrews 11. And what does Hebrews 11 tell us? That there is a great cloud of witnesses for us to hear and to learn from. Hebrews 12 tells us that we worship that when we worship on the Lord's day, we are worshiping with that great cloud of witnesses. You know, here's an interesting quote in my uh, that I came across this week that worship gives us hearing aids to hear the great cloud of witnesses. Why? Because we've been elevated up into God's presence where the angels and all of the church before us are worshiping God and all others that are worshiping God. We can't see all that. But God has summoned us and called us to his presence. This may seem far-fetched, but the word of God tells us this. We can't see it with our eyes. But God assures us that this is true. And when we think about this, we've got to consider 2 Corinthians 5, 7. For we walk by faith and not by what? Sight. Now we are to respond to our summons and have an amen response. We are to bow down and kiss the hand. Think of Psalm 2.12. Kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish in the way. When his wrath is kindled but a little. But blessed are those who put their trust in him. Now a lot of times when we read Psalm 2, we are constantly thinking about those that are raging against God and are plotting against him. But there's also, listen, we are to come into God's presence and bow down. What do we say in our confession? Right? Let us bow down before him. And what are we doing? We are kissing the son. We are showing the fact that we know that we are under him. That we confess our sins to him. And why does he do this? does this because God is not a distant God but God calls us to his to his presence through the work of his son by the power of the spirit and he offers his gifts to us and we are to respond with amens of words spoken and sung as you all know the sung word is speech glorified we see in first Corinthians excuse me first Chronicles chapter 16 Verse 9, we're told this, sing to him, sing psalms to him, talk of all his wondrous works. That's Exodus 15. And, excuse me, Exodus 15 and Numbers 21 say very similar things. So we are both to sing in response to God, and we are to talk, that is speak, of his wondrous works. Psalm 9, verse 11 says this, sing praises to Yahweh dwells in Zion. Declare his deeds among the people. Who are these people? God's people. So we are to sing the Psalms. We are to speak and sing 
amen responses to God throughout the whole service. This is what all this interaction is. He is our God, and we are his people. In Exodus 33, verse 14, it says this, and he, and this he is Yahweh, and he said, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. In his special presence of his summoned day and time of worship, God gives us rest. Why can we have rest? Because worship takes us from our place of estrangement with God to a place of reconciliation. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we give thanks for your mercy that has summoned us together today before your very presence. Help us to be conformed to your word and realize that we have your gift of peace so that we can truly enter into your rest. In Christ's name, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit forever and ever, world without end.